Today in TFC Stock Geekout, we're going to explore a company that's cornered a boring market in the customer service space. What started as a sector filled with fragmented players providing little services from telephones, email pushers, SMS notifications, FAQ bots, etc. has been fundamentally changed as a result of these guys. They've consolidated all these features into their software suite and has been actively improving and innovating to keep up with the demands of their customers to keep up with the demand of their customers. <laughs> that joke. What is interesting to know is that the enterprise software market is very difficult for anyone to be dominant, okay? If you think about it, some of the most dominant software players are like Adobe, AutoCAD. They have kind of gotten a whole market to themselves, but it's very, very rare and it's pretty hard. But these guys, okay, these guys are somewhere there. They're not a monopoly, but they're getting there. A lot of innovation going on. So joining me today to geek out on this help desk customer service support powerhouse is our in-house stock and tech geek, Thomas Steele. We explored Zendesk, which is the leading, if not the only software player that has consolidated all the customer service functions into what they call a help desk ticketing system. Everything is now done with a ticket and the support staff can have a much easier time handling the giant process are usually filled with angry customers. On top of that, they have taken this tech backbone to enter into the sales process touching into the realms of customer relationship management software, CRM, which is where Salesforce calls it home ground. They've also created APIs to help game developers to allow their gamers to call for help within the games. Essentially, the gamers do not need to leave the games anymore because of them. So a lot of interesting stuff going on and we took this chance to discuss Gap versus non-Gap and elaborate the software ecosystem, especially the idea of APIs. For your reference sake, this episode was recorded on the 19th of June 2021 and released early to our community members. Our discussion today is solely for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not serve as any form of advice or recommendations. Thank you for loving what we do and empowering us financially to do more for you. Let's geek out. So yes, today we are going into another tech company. Yeah? These software companies, they do a lot of interesting stuff. And one of the most interesting things they do is they report their financials differently between mm. Gap and non-Gap and all these other things, right? I think Thomas, you have some things to tell us about this before we keep rolling down this episode. Yeah, so specifically, uh, Gap is, stands for Generally Accepted Accounting Principles, right? And non-Gap is basically... Principles that's not really generally accepted. La. So, it, it might be a good and bad thing. the company create their own pattern, right? The company yeah. created their own way to measure. Okay, yes. Yeah. So, the company, perhaps there's uh, more important metrics which it wants the uh, investors to look at or the way that it calculates uh, revenue, right? Or um, cash flow that's being used in a certain way. Uh, they might have certain buckets which isn't generally accepted in accounting principles. So that's what basically it means. Um, usually, there will be two sets, right, uh, inside these statements. So one portion of the statements, they'll show, okay, these are the generally accepted ones. That is what they have to conform with. And then there's a non-gap one, which um, most of the time, it tends to be uh, something on the higher performance, right? Because this is something that a company looks at, it's more presentable. Uh, but sometimes also, these uh, non-gap statements, right, they have poor performance also sometimes. So it's worth to look at how they actually compute this and uh, the reasons why. La. Okay, interesting. So then why specifically uh, when we're talking about this company today, you you wanted to bring this up to be discussed? 
Right, I think we've talked about some um, software-based companies and the tendency is that uh, it's not very much of a mode, right? It doesn't doesn't really have much of a mode. Um, they also have the same kinds of weaknesses, the same kinds of uh, angles which they're trying to attack the market. Uh, but specifically for this company, um, they are actually one of the more successful stories really, right? But we have to also see that this is uh, one of the companies that use non-GAAP quite a lot. And, and we try to analyze it from uh, their perspective and um, seeing whether they actually are making it or not. Nah. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so so usually, right, the software companies, they don't have a high net income because of the nature of the business, right? So most of the times, they are actually trying to remove recurring costs. So in the non-gap principles, right, why we said earlier that um, the performance might be a little bit overstated is because there's, there's this removal of the recurring costs. And that might only be introduced... Um, when you're looking at the gap once and it looks tremendously bad. Yeah. But for a growing company, then um, actually it's okay. Lah. Yeah. So you can just like um, not look at it. But at the end of the day, uh, depends what kind of investor you are. Are you buying for the value? Are you buying for the growth? Or do you buy it just because it's a meme stock? Right. Mm-hmm. So it could be for all sorts of reasons. Lah. So it's helpful to know and it's helpful to actually look at it uh, for this particular company. Lah. Okay. That's good to know. But I think Zendesk is quite a dominant player in this space, you know. It's, it's not the same as mm. Cloudflare, um, the, the one we talked previously. <laughs> or Spotify. As, yeah, or Spotify, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. So they, they have quite a sticky customer um, mm. retention. And I know some friends who actually use them, right? So a lot of good reviews about it. The only problem is very expensive. Everything need to add, price and mm. all that stuff. But yeah, hey, hello. If a company can keep you know, providing that uh, value and keep providing that increase in price that uh, people are still willing to pay, right? And hey, that's a interesting thing going forward, right? Yeah, so mm. uh, let, let's go into this, uh, this company in general. Like, what, what do they actually do? So Zendesk, they are primarily um, providing chat support software, right? And these comes in different kinds of uh, features. So they mainly deal with the use cases for customer support, sales, and customer engagement. A basic one would be, say, you have a chatbot that you see on your website, right? So when you type into it and then uh, someone will respond or maybe a chatbot responds. So behind the scenes, there is a kind of system to handle your inquiries. Let's say you have a question or you have a complaint. It's being channeled into a ticket. And this ticketing system is provided by Zendesk, which will help you to organize your customer support or your sales uh, operations much better. Actually, I think a lot of people need to recognize that pre-Zendesk. So Zendesk is one of the pioneers in this ticketing mm. customer support system software stack. Okay, pre-Zendesk, right, people actually have to buy it separately from different, different vendors. Right, so right. You, you have to buy your SMS pusher from a certain vendor. You have to get your FAQ from another vendor. You have to get, you know... Um, your call support line from another vendor and they can come in all sorts of patterns. It can be very traditional telcos, network companies in the middle or even software companies all around. So, which Mm. is why it was very hard to um, create strong kind of customer experience and strong kind of customer support. And everything outsourced back then, right? Because it was so difficult to Mm. do it. Mm. But Zendesk was the pioneer to to put all these together. It's not some amazing revolutionary idea, but they just kind of put everything into a stack. And, you know, it it makes it a lot easier. And there's a lot of APIs that they have kind of created to integrate with a lot of apps. I think for a lot of people that don't know, actually a lot of your apps that once you go into customer service or once you go into like um, customer support, 
you know, which you need to retrieve some money, you want to complain or you want to <laughs> get some refund. Actually, a lot mm. of times, you're already in Zendesk interface. All right, so, yep. I think a lot of people need to realize that and a lot of the big app players, they all use them. Um, so, that's an interesting part to know. Mm-mm-mm. And dealing with the use case of the customer support, like Zendesk wants to support enterprise or even small businesses in the way that they do the customer support. You can't just give a software solution, right, which just deals with one specific problem. Like, so what, you have a chat pop-up in your website, but if it's not automated, you're still going to need to hire more customer support staff, right? So that doesn't solve the problem. You want to try automate a few things. Uh, but not to the point where you get, say, like, yeah, I'm not going to say names, but uh, certain banks where you go and look at their chatbots, <laughs> right? It's just basically uh, a glorified FAQ, mm, right? And that doesn't help your customer service at all. People are getting pissed off. That actually works against your branding and your uh, service quality. La. So you also want something that is flexible enough to uh, have your support staff step in when it's necessary. And on the flip side of it, to tell the customer support software to actually step in. Um, that being said, for the customer support uh, staff, right? how do they know what is the right thing to respond by? So behind the scenes, right? can you imagine they're like, Googling inside their intranet, trying to find out what is the answer, or they're going through some manual like, hey, hey the customer go and ask this kind of thing. But for the customer side, I say, oh, please wait a few moments. We are checking. But behind the scenes, people are actually scrambling. Uh, <laughs> so you, 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 this, is a, this is a huge issue because it's a time waste, right? Mm-hmm. If the right information is already stored in one place and is easily um, pushed to the customer support staff, they can very easily provide the support to the customers very, very quickly already. Yeah, and this is something that uh, Zendesk does well and they actually close the loop so that it really handles this use case well. Uh. Um, where the customer engagement and the sales comes in is because they are riding on the same kind of infrastructure and they're yes. going into other use cases uh, tapping on the same kind of backend. Yeah. Yes, yes. They started just doing customer support at the back. Okay, And over time, they've built this whole um, infrastructure where you can automate some parts then there's still the human you know ticket system at the back and then you can kind of mm. decide from a company's perspective like how automated you do you want things to get and at what point do you want them to get in touch with customer service and how do you then operate this whole thing so there are a lot of small little little processes in between which is why mm. having a whole stack is amazing right and that, that's kind of what they're providing so very interesting and they are taking that stack to push into the sales Right, so that mm. essentially, we'll kind of see how things are going, especially I think the future is very customer-centric, at least for a lot of the tech companies. There's a lot of talk about customer experience, user journey, user engagement, user interface, and all that stuff. Right, So the whole thing mm. is all you know summed together. And I think Zendes is trying to kind of eat this whole thing. Right? Recently, I found out that they just work with one of the big game developers. I cannot remember who, but one of the big game developers actually is using a Zendesk API where in the middle of the game, right, you're playing something and something happened. You don't even need to leave the game. You can just pull out the API and then you can just immediately ask everything and everything can be sorted within the game using the Zendesk mm. uh, API. Mm. So I think that is like, wow. You know, to me, it's like, mm, okay, they're, they're, they're getting somewhere um, beyond just their cozy corner of you know, help desk and, and all that. I think they're moving forward with that. So I, I think it's a pretty interesting company. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, mm, any other major processes that we should be aware of when looking at uh, Zendesk as a company? I think, yeah, no matter what, it's a software company. Uh, it still needs to go and plow back uh, some investment into the R&D. So the R&D aspect is basically keeping ahead of the competition, right? Because the moment you are lacking a certain key feature, 
then that's yes. it. Your users are going to transfer over. And yes. uh, the combination of all your features ultimately makes up uh, why people stay, right? In the first place, there, there's certain value add to the product, but also in the level of your engagement as a company. So like Zendesk, um, they're very known for their kind of culture that they have inside the company. And it's basically like putting the customers first and, and basically they're building a customer support software, right? Um, they really, they really. I'm expecting it's, it's no really, less, really, huh? I'm expecting no less from them. <laughs> they they really put it at their forefront. So so the way that they build their products, the way that they even talk to their own uh, customers, this is very important. Um, because that's the difference that they make, right? As compared to the other kind of competitors, which is just like, oh, I have this cold software. You just slap it onto your website, lah. But you have no customer support whatsoever, right? The onboarding is also say not friendly and all that kind of stuff. Which this part, right, is difficult for other software companies to replicate, right? So it's more than just a software company. People recognize it as a brand and a brand that they want to go back to to solve a certain problem. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I think they've gotten past the early phases of just being a software company and just being, mm. you know, one of the providers. And I think they're in an interesting stage. Okay, they're still very, from a market cap perspective, they're considered relatively small. Okay, well, mm. it's it's not it's not about cheap or expensive. That one needs a whole valuation. But if you look at just look at pure market cap, it's very small. I think it's it's sub ten or was it 10, 10 to fifteen? I can't remember. But it's it's very small in the in the grand scheme of uh, tech players, right? So, um, interesting mm. company to know that they have dominated a corner, lah. So I think it's pretty interesting. Clearly, you can tell that I like this company. I mean, <laughs> I've read about them and I think that they are interesting. And I'm long zendesk for everybody that needs to know. Okay, so um, let's go into a discussion on the metrics. Like, how do we look at this company? Uh, what are some core ideas that we should we should be aware of when understanding Zendesk? Sure, I think you can first separate it into different segments which uh, Zendesk actually caters to. In their report, they use these terms such as starters, uh, like say like SMEs or even startups. Then there's mid-sized companies and then there's enterprise uh, champions, right? So all these you can, um, like similar to Cloudflare or analysis, uh, these represent different kinds of cohorts, mm. right? It's just like by dollar value or by say like the employee size and things like that. And when you group these things, you will actually see some uh, interesting phenomena. So let's say for Zendesk, right? The mid-size and the enterprise champions are 3.3 times more likely to have grown their customer base over the last six months. So mm. when they actually grow their customer base, it means that it's an increased usage of Zendesk software, right? <laughs> yes. Right, it's, it's a direct more, more correlation. More customer, uh. you know, more, yes, yes. It's true, it's mm, true. Which, which, which also means it's a good thing. If my customers are growing, I mean, they can pay for my software, la, right? Mm. But the second value add is that there's more features that I can build or I can provide uh, existing already to upsell to these customers as well because they need mm. to scale, right? They need to scale to service their own customers. And that's a good thing, right? Because there's always more things that we can actually build and more kind of synergy that we can also provide. That's quite cute, right? You're selling your mm. own feature. Like as you grow, yep. you scale and then you build this thing to meet your own needs. And then it's like, oh, you also need Hana, I, I sell to you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I never thought of it that exactly. way, but yeah. So, okay. so it, it's like, um, there, there's a term inside software we call uh, eating your own dog food, right? Mm. So it doesn't necessarily have to be dog food if you actually really like and enjoy the product. And when you use the product itself, you already know how the customer feels. You enjoy using it. It's not just for the sake of, um, well... I build this software, then my company forced me to use, and then it's a very different thing. Yeah, so it's really a product that people love. This is a different thing, really. Okay, so I, I I've heard stories, right? Example, um, again, I won't name names, but in certain <laughs> banks, when they are building your your kind of digital bank, right? 
the engineers themselves right, are not using the bank's apps. They're using another bank's apps. Because mm-hmm. the company in which they're working in, the UI or the experience is so bad that they don't want to use it themselves. The irony uh-huh. is that they are building the app itself. Right? Mm-hmm. So you don't want to have that kind of situation. Yeah. So you want your, your staff to be I totally to be know really what aligned. you're saying, by the way. <laughs> I won't name names. Yeah, 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 it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> we don't name names. But some of the bank, the apps are very jala. But anyway, yes, continue, please. <laughs> Which puts you in a bad situation, right? Anytime a competitor can come in, right? let's say like those with the licenses really, all they need to provide is a more seamless UI UX. That's it, right? The cost of running a bank has really come down so much. Right, if you use the, the the newer technologies, so existing banks will have some kind of disadvantage, lah. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Anyway, uh, coming back to Zendesk, right? Putting their customer first in mind and looking at the different kind of cohorts. Yeah, the customers growing at that rate will also estimate how much they can upsell in the future, which also gives you an indicator as an investor, like uh, what's the possible sales target that they can meet. Yeah. Um, another interesting thing to note is that the mid-sized and enterprise champions are more likely to have senior level support inside the company. What this means is that there's backing inside their customers to actually use Zendesk. So this is important. Why? Because for any initiative to introduce a new software, usually it means you're initiating a new workflow. So there's some change management involved. Um, this is not a small thing. If it's a very, very small thing, then you say, yeah, overnight I can just change the software, right? But if you do that, right, the processes also will have to change, right? So how flexible is your software to accommodate to this? Yeah, we will come back into, a, back into this uh, in a bit. But uh, basically, that's, that's the, the, the important factor is that if once they have senior management of support and they are approving of Zendesk, it's very easy to hold on to this customer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we can also draw parallels to Cloudflare, right? Cloudflare, they, yes, they have certain infrastructure that they have built before and all this, but it's a hardware cost, right? And hardware is something that you need to go and maintain. For software, yes, if you have built it well, you don't have to maintain it. But if you have built it in a not so good way, then of course your maintenance also increases. Mm, right? Mm, mm. Yeah. Engineering but, debt, huh? Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So for, for software, you can kind of see you, you just use the software itself. Like, does it bug out? Right? Does it kind of um, give you the expected user experience that you want? Does it just work? Right? And if that's the case, you can kind of know as an investor that uh, the products were actually built well and it's not so like buggy. There's, there's some weird scenarios it just doesn't handle and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm. So you know actually uh, they are doing uh, quite good things on the engineering side of things. La. Yeah. Okay, so other than that, right, uh, there's also the average deal size. You want to look at the um, how big of a plan that these, say, mid-size or enterprise champions are actually buying at. They are SaaS companies, so you want to also look at their annual recurring revenue. So um, they group by the, the deal size, right? So let's say those with uh, like 250,000 uh, group size, right? It grew by 40%. And the 500,000 uh, group size actually grew by 50%. And these are year on year. Right? So they're growing at a pretty fast clip. Um, other than that, the, the, these cohorts that are growing, you also want to see that those that are shrinking. And for Dendes, it's not shrinking. Lah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like we've talked about previously, how software companies, they need to kind of scale together with their customers, right? So as their customers grow, they need to move up with uh, more features and more stuff so that they can meet the needs of this growing customer so that the customer does not port out to another guy. Right? Um, yep. Like, what we call customer growing beyond, you know, the service, right? So um, I, I think that these guys, uh, much like a few other of the leading software companies, they have grown so fast that, you know, they are also acquiring the big enterprise customers at this point in time, right? So that is, uh, that is the, the interesting uh, feature that I want to see 
Okay, if I'm not like super early in a software company, right? If I'm buying a software company somewhere in this stage where they're already listed and they have relatively matured in their own small little corner of the software market, then I want to be able to see them uh, grow with their customer and provide mm. enough to acquire the bigger customers. You know, like for a lot of people that didn't know, right? The whole hotels business, all the software is dominated by Oracle. Okay, for all of you that didn't know, Oracle just has this like, huge suite that takes up the whole market. Nobody is in it, right? So if, if someone, if I'm evaluating a new software company that tells me that they're focusing on establishing this whole hotel business software, I want to see that, hey, they are starting to bite off some of these uh, big you know, vendors that are using Oracle, right? So in Zendesk, I think I'm seeing a little bit of that where a lot of these uh, bigger call centers and bigger companies are adopting them as a as a core tenant of customer support. So I think there's a customer support, experience, engagement, whatever name you want to call it. Huh? <laughs> so I, I think that's a, that's a good sign, yes. Mm. Yeah, every, every technology has its like sunrise and sunset also. Uh, same same for like uh, more like, we say like commodities or manufacturing kind of companies. But in this case, because software moves like really, really fast. Some of the technologies that you use say five years ago, right? Today's times is really outdated. So <laughs> some of the tools that were dominating last time, right, actually have uh, some risk of being having their market share taken away because the previous technologies, right, just can't cope anymore. It's just like that, right? Mm. So the newer technologies just tend to, to have like five times, six times, seven times more uh, efficiency and that kind of things. And that translates down to, to, your, to your cost basis also and uh, how much you can actually scale. Uh. Yeah, the name of game is, is, is really scale. Yeah, and if you can see that the, the customers are actually growing um, the expenses are kept in check, then yeah, you, you have a pretty solid growth company. La. Um, that being said, I mean, you also still have to look at the financials and all that. How much actually are they burning? They're growing, but they're burning, right? Mm. And for how long? Gosh, are gosh, they just sure. going to keep throwing cash until eventually they lose market share? Yeah, mm. it, it can come to that also, right? It doesn't mean that the company is listed. It means that it's going to be automatic success. Yes, it's listed yes. just basically means that they're raising more funds to try to achieve their business goals. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Uh, before we go into the financials, right, I think it's good to let everybody have a little bit of understanding of like what is the market share of this company at this moment in time and you know what are we seeing going forward into the future? Mm -hmm. uh, so I think they are still primarily in the contact center market focus, right? With some of the, I wouldn't say ancillary services, the other use cases which they go for is basically supporting the customer support um, operations, right, for any type of company, say like your startup or your mid-sized or enterprise customers, right? Uh, but primarily, it's, it's still like 13.8% uh, based off the data from Enlift, but also very competitive, right? There's like 138 other competing tools in the country. 138, like, my God. Mm. Yeah. So when people try to do like a, like a cross-analysis, right, maybe do some matrix and all that, right? Do you want to do for all 138? No, right? Maybe you just mm. take the top five. Yeah, so where they stand in this top five, right? So far, it's pretty good. It's like top and to the right. Lah. Yeah. So if that's the case, then um, that will be the go-to kind of uh, solution uh, which most people will actually pick. Another thing is that they are also going uh, very strongly on the enterprise strategy angle. So actually, this is in direct competition with uh, Salesforce. So mm -hmm. Salesforce is one of the companies that has dominated uh, CRM space. So it's a customer relationship management uh, software space. So this is a little bit different from customer support because customer support is basically, okay, if you have a problem or your feedback inquiry, right, you go through that channel. 
But customer relationship, right? You would say it's uh, for Salesforce, right? They focus more on the sales operation side of things. So if a customer has a certain inquiry that uh, they want to buy something and you want to support that whole process until closing. And then Salesforce uh, introduces other ecosystem of uh, applications right, to connect so that it forms a whole uh, business solution. Uh. So after sales, perhaps uh, you have your inventory management system from some third party, right? You have another accounting and finance module from another third party. And then um, you go down to say like even for some analytical tools after that, so on and so forth. Lah. So Salesforce has really dominated with that ecosystem strategy, right? Yes. But now with the same infrastructure that Zendesk has for customer support, it's going to eat into Salesforce market as well. They also have integrations which they can uh, provide to any other existing API out there. It doesn't have to be an ecosystem. It just has to be an API. Okay, so mm -hmm. the difference between that, right, is that for ecosystem, it means that, say for Apple App Store or Google Play Store, right, you need to register specifically to be on their ecosystem, right? You need to design the applications in a certain way, then it fits the criteria. Now, the difference between that and just an API call, uh, API call is just you follow one generic spec. Like industry-wide, there's just a, a, a generic spec already. You don't have to conform to a certain kind of standard. An API call is just like, okay, you meet, you send, you request, that's it, get the job done. So earlier on, uh, Reggie, you talked about inside the game, right? They can actually call the customer support with an API. So it just blows any other use case or any other software out of the water. Why? Because mm. say for, let's say gaming uh, games, la, right? They don't need to build that into their software anymore. They just need to call an API, mm. right? Previously, it's like, oh, I need to generate this UI. I need to go and build my own customer support just to have exactly. it inside the game itself, right? Inside my exactly. code base. Mm. But with the API call, I don't need to do that anymore. Right? Mm. And if, if Zendesk can just like literally do a customized pop-up inside the game, right? that's even more powerful. Exactly. Yeah. That means people don't even need to leave the game and gamers hate to leave the game. Okay, <laughs> And all these gaming yeah, companies yeah. don't want you to leave the game. right? The whole, the whole game in town, sorry, so cheesy. Eh? But the whole game in town is to keep you in the game. So imagine you mm -hmm. play World of Warcraft, suddenly boom, something come out, right? Oh, this one, I got problem. Uh, let's call out. Then you can solve it inside your FAQ. If not, your customer service support, they immediately call in, you confirm your, your game master, sort that out with you. So it's like, mm. wow, these guys are, are really investing back into all these kind of interesting innovation. Like they're really envisioning how a customer's journey will be like, you know, and I think that's kind of kind of what I really like about them. Of course, the founders are charismatic. They have a lot of story to tell. They're from Copenhagen, all that we can come in later to discuss about the founders mm. and all. You know, but I think from an innovation standpoint, what I know is probably a little deeper than what a lot of people recognize, probably because I have I have a lot of friends in this space. And all of them are saying that, you know, Zendesk is the leader in the game. Okay. Everyone else is just catching up. The only other real competitor is probably Freshdesk, which is backed by Google. Okay, mm. so so that's the interesting guy. Okay, because uh, you know, backed by Google means uh, interesting like Got money, got power, got all those kind of things. All right. So, but if you're really talking about a fully integrated software suite with easy onboarding and all that, right? I think so far, um, Zendesk is the only one. No doubt that being in the space of uh, highly competitive with all these other tools and options and all that, you know, being in the space. Uh, but yeah, like like what you've also pointed out that they are definitely in one of the higher echelons. They are in their own league line in some ways. Uh, whether or not they can convert all these other customers to pay because they are not cheap. Uh, they are not the cheapest player. They are not, they are not playing that mm. cheap game. So whether or not they can convert all these other customers to come on, that's a whole different discussion. But from a product mm. standpoint, I think they are doing pretty well. 
Yeah, so on the, on the for the engineering debt um for their customers, right? Let's say let's say just take the game company. Would you prefer your engineers to work on the game or to work on a customer support module? Game the game, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> yes, so that's yes. your call. You just mm. need to call the API, then that's it. Your 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 developer don't need to concern themselves with building some customer support module, right? Mm. So mm. that saves a lot of time. It saves a lot of costs also. Basically you've outsourced it, right? And yes. you just pay, say like a subscription fee and then it just works really. Exactly. So that is the, the very um, attractive proposition which Zendesk can go. As say compared to uh let's say Salesforce la, with their ecosystem applications. Why? Because there's a limited number of although there's many, right? It's still a limited number of applications that exist in the Salesforce ecosystem, right? It may not necessarily conform to your workflow, right? You have to conform to other people's workflow that have inbuilt into the software, right? And this may not be actually the most optimal one. It doesn't give you that kind of flexibility. Back then, when Salesforce just started, this is revolutionary because nothing like this existed. Yes, and yes, basically, yes. there were very few uh, SaaS solutions out there. So, so this was the way to go, right? And then uh, the, everyone else caught on. Uh, but because they were the first leaders out of this, I mean, they created a lot of uh, economies of scale with their own ecosystem. Everyone just jumped on board. But then after a while, uh, companies, when they reach a certain scale, as they grow, you realize that the software doesn't support their operations anymore. It grows too large, right? Or grows too, a little bit too complex. Or maybe the way that the software works, uh, there's actually some restrictions. Yeah, you use any kind of software, uh, most likely you encounter these kind of things. So what happens? You need some kind of customization, right? And with customization, you need as flexible a package as possible. And by flexible, the most flexible you can get is really just the API. Yeah. Mm. So whatever you do with the API, you want to build your own software around it, sure. Just give me the request, just give me the response. I'll handle the rest because I already know how to build my own workflow. Yeah. Yeah. I think for everybody that don't understand API and all, I think Thomas just shared a very, very good understanding for everybody, right? To just kind of have a clear idea what's an API. Essentially... You don't need to code that thing. You can pull out and white label my software and just kind of integrate into, into your own software stack. So you can create whatever experience you want without spending time to create this whole thing because I've already done it. And you pay me a licensing mm. fee, a subscription fee. Right? So mm. I think that is the new game in town for a lot of software companies. Uh. There's just tons of APIs stacked into all these apps and games and softwares that a lot of people may not know. So yeah, that's... It's good to know, yeah. Good to know that uh, this company, you know, is staying ahead, uh, in innovating, you know, <laughs> with the future. Not just doing call center. Huh? I like, I like. So yeah, let's mm. let's uh, go into their financials. I like, run through how are they actually performing. Although it sounds good so far. Mm, mm, mm. Okay, so uh, we have numbers from Q1 2021 versus uh, 2020. So revenue grew by 26 percent year on year. So it's 298 million versus 237 million last year. Uh, pretty good, right? The revenue by segment, so 40% of the monthly recurring revenue actually came from the enterprise accounts. So, mm. not bad, right? If you want to compare it to say, okay, Cloudflare, la, which is like a very, very small majority, it's a totally <laughs> freemium model, right? 90% yes. are not paying, only the 10% is actually paying. In this sense, 40% are actually the ones that are paying and they are the enterprise accounts, which means that they are doing they something so right. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... Zendesk plans also, uh, there, there aren't any free ones. Perhaps they can give you some kind of free trial or demo for a few days only. But it's really meant for the heavy or the serious users. Yeah, not someone just try, try, and then like, oh, I try other software, then come back to it sometime later. Yeah. So these people are serious and you can see if they are willing to stay uh, based off the cohort data that you uh, they can track, la, the metrics that we mm. talked about. Okay, then the cost. There was a 25% increase in cost as well. It's like, hmm, okay. 
So where is all this going, right? All over. So it's still being spent in R&D, your sales and marketing, your G&A, it's all increasing. It took up like 274 million as compared to 219 million, right? But at the end of the day, right, although it grew, the cost grew as fast as revenue, operating margins-wise is still, uh, depending, uh, gap or non-gap, okay? So all, all, the, all the numbers we have talked so far is the non-gap one, okay? Operating margin for non-gap, it seems profitable, right? At 7% as compared to 3%, right? But when you look at gap, right, which is the generally accepted ones, it's a negative 15% compared to negative 20%. Mm. Whichever way you, you look at it, okay, the operational performance has improved, but yes. are they really profitable or not on the operating level? This is the I, question. I don't think so. <laughs> la. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that the level of chasing profitability, um, mm. which is why the whole like cash flow, debt, and you know, um, financing matters, right? When we're looking at companies like that. Mm. Mm-hmm. So cash flow wise, uh, again, uh, this is non-gap. It's at 26 million years compared to 42 million. So this actually decreased. It decreased, right? Wow. And the debt level is at 1.7 billion. <laughs> Why it decreased? Um, so this has to do with their operating, in between the operating margin to the point where it actually goes down to cash flow, right? There's additional costs involved or there's additional expenses that's involved also, right? From what I read inside the annual report, not enough information. Yeah. Okay. So this is a bit of a black box. Yeah. Why mm-hmm. is, is actually this so? They only show the numbers. They only show, say like, the amount they put into um, different portion of cash flow. It's not a true investment. It's mostly to do with the operations. Yeah. Okay. okay. Financing wise, it doesn't actually increase. The, it's about 1.7 billion. So we know that mm-hmm. actually they didn't, they didn't pull down more debt. La. So this has remained constant. Did they sell more equity? Hmm. Possible. <laughs> Yeah, Possibly. because they are burning cash, right? They, the money needs to come from somewhere. Let me mm. do a quick search. No. In fact, they bought back equity. Wow. Mm. Yeah, so equity, total equity was at 558 million uh, outstanding shares um, in 2019, but it's been coming down to 430. So that's that's interesting. Yeah, but long term debt keeps rising, huh? <laughs> slightly, so, yeah, so, la, slightly. Yeah, yeah, slightly, slightly. Um, but but okay, okay. Which means on some level, I would still call them pretty prudent. They are not doing very crazy kind of financial activity, raising a lot mm. of debt or like selling a lot of equity. So that's uh, from a investor management standpoint. I think that's pretty good. Um, I like that. I don't want my company to like keep diluting me, right? So so that's that's a uh, one good part. Uh, but yeah, whether or not they are too slow to the game, that's um, it's questionable. But yeah, I think overall it sounds pretty good in terms of financial management uh, from an investor standpoint, right? Um, mm. Not so much about the the whole other growth, how are they doing, and not the operational parts, just the part about debt equity management. Um, yeah, looks looks pretty healthy. Okay, so that's good. Um, financials are what it is. Definitely not growing at the whole crazy speed like other software companies. They are way beyond that that time already. They're not at the the period where they grow month on month, double, double, double like that. No, no, not, uh, way past that whole phase. I think a lot of um, companies, once they get listed, they are mostly hovering at the 
mid twenties to thirties, you know, if they can continue to grow at 30, 40, that's pretty wild. Um, but yeah, Zendesk is is uh, in that phase, right? They're not a cash flow machine at this point in time. They're still growing. They're still spending a lot of money. So let's mm. see how it goes in the future. Yeah. Mm. Any final things to add for financials? Uh, I think you need to take a deeper dive into uh, what is the underlying expenses which causes the drop in the cash flow. Yeah. Basically, this is just reading from the quarterly statements. So um, mm. for these kind of software as a service companies, really need to dissect why. But we know that expenses increase everywhere, like across the board, right? But there's other things which uh, is not exactly transparent also yeah, for this yeah, company. Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. Definitely, definitely something to be aware of. Okay, yeah. yeah. So let's uh, talk a little bit about the management. I think the management is quite an interesting bunch. Um, yep. Yeah, and they are from Denmark, right? So at least the founder was from Denmark and he had mm-hmm. quite a whole story. So yeah, let's, let's roll with management. Right, so the CEO, he's still there. Uh, his name is Mikael's friend. Um, so he's the founder also from 2007. Then he's been at Sanders ever since, right? That's, that's his whole history. Mm-hmm. Then um, something to note is that actually it is interesting, but uh, there's a lot of changes in the first quarter of 2021. Mm-hmm. Like in and out, in and out, in and out, mm-hmm. right? So um, the previous CTO was also the founder. His name is uh, Morton. Right. Uh, he focused, emphasized a lot about this culture, the principles and engineering and all that kind of stuff. But he left, right? And who actually took his place was uh, Soren. So Soren is the EVP of engineering, right? Um, he was inside Zendesk since 2017. Uh, previously, he was the senior VP of uh, engineering in TubeMogul. So it's an advertising cloud platform, uh, which was then acquired by Adobe. And then he also held uh, previous engineering positions at Microsoft and Autodesk. So when this transition happens, right, um, I don't know, from how I look at it, it's perhaps someone with more engineering uh, experience actually took over, but not mm. in the role of a CTO anymore. It became more of an EVP role. Mm. Okay, okay, okay. So, so it says means... like it's more corporate structure, more businessy already. Mm, mm, yeah. mm. Not giving him the, the, the seat on the table. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the structure might have changed completely also la, because yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, maybe yeah. their emphasis is like, just focus on cohorts, focus on growth, focus on enterprise. That's all. Yeah. Mm, the tech stack is really more or less uh, stable. So just maintain the shape, don't rock the boat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so it's interesting in the aspect. It could be a good, it could be a bad. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then uh, for operations and CIO is a senior VP. Uh, her name is Colleen. So previously, she was executive in residence at uh, PwC. She was also VP of IT for Adobe Systems and uh, she held some of the exact level IT roles at Cisco, Palm and SAP. So okay, has some experience there. Uh, but again, no chief operating officer, right? Mm. Um, not yet at least. So why? is because the previous COO also left, right? Uh, his wow. name is Tom, right? Mm-hmm. The COO left to go to Hootsuite. Uh-huh. Ah, yeah. okay. Interesting. So previously, he was four years at Zendesk. Uh, he played uh, ops and IT roles at Gap, L Brands, Ernst & Young, Capgemini. Um, so the question is like, wow, how come so many people are leaving, right? Yeah, so, why is it? Why are we changing so many people? It's, it's <laughs> in and out. It's, it's just a replacement. Mm-hmm. So the incoming COO is uh, Jeff Titterton. He was previously Zendesk CMO. Marketing. Mm, marketing. Right? Okay, why? I, I'm not sure why. So, so this is interesting, right? So previously, he was an engagement marketing and campaign marketing for Adobe's uh, ARR creative cloud business. So you see a lot of people oh. from Adobe actually. 
Yeah. Adobe, Adobe Creative mm. Cloud business has been doing very well for the past many, many years. So that's mm, good to mm, know. Mm. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. And he was also the CMO at uh, 99designs. So yeah, pretty interesting as a CMO, but as a COO, who knows? Who knows? Who knows, yeah. right? It's, way, it's a way, honestly, operation is way more complicated than any vertical function in itself. Operation had to link all mm. the function together. So, you know, I used mm. to think like, operation okay, ma. And after a while, I have a lot of mad respect for COOs, just saying. Mm. <laughs> okay, so CMO became COO, right? So who is going to take over the CMO, right? So we have a person uh, called Alex. Uh, Alex was the CEO previously for a marketing agency called Outcast. Yeah, mm. I'm, I'm, I haven't heard of this company, but basically there's a lot of people rotating here and there. And then lastly, our CFO also changed, right? So <laughs> uh, her name is Alina, right? Mm. She's going to uh, Toast, which is a cloud restaurant platform. So she was in Zendesk for, uh, I think now five years. Yeah, she joined in 2016. She also held senior finance roles at Fortune 500 companies like Salesforce, Visa, Charles Schwab, um, as at a board at Smartsheet and PagerDuty, other kinds of software companies. So who's going to replace her, right? A person called Glazer, uh, he was at Intel 25 years, holding finance and leadership positions as well. Recently, he was also CFO and COO in Intel for the data platform group. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you see a lot, everything except the CEO change. Huh. Yeah. And, but, and you, you see a lot of... Uh, the people that are leaving, they were more, like they were like fresher, you know, in terms mm. of like their experience. And then they're, they're bringing on a lot of like more senior people in the space, huh? like like people with a lot of experience mm. from other tech companies. So that's a definitely an interesting observation to kind of, to know that, you know, these are, these changes are happening. Essentially, you start the company with uh, all these people that are very talented and you can connect with. And then as you scale to a certain level, the CEO stays, but he's changing out a lot of these like original main guys to take on people that, that are a lot more senior established in the space itself, or at least in the verticals that they're in, whether it's from marketing or finance or, or whatnot. It's pretty interesting. Uh. A- any thoughts on that? It could be something you do with their compensation package or so, like the overall comm. Uh. So let's say mm. for the founders or those at uh, the previous C-suite, right? They might have already have their options um, exhausted. All, yeah, <laughs> they, they get. Um, they get. Not, not, I would say exhausted. They, they already exercise, right? So uh. this is their time to exit, and then it's the right time. But uh, too many people living at once. Uh, this, this is a bit uh, much, lah. Right. So yes. it's quite volatile in that sense. I, I, I mean, yes. like not everyone left in much, right? It's over time. But mm. uh, you have to question, and you have to also have to dig deeper. Is it because? Uh, it's time, right? Basically, you really like uh, maximize whatever gains that you had inside the company through your comp package or is it because of a culture issue? Yeah. Mm. Or is it because of really a strategic uh, change? Yes, uh, you see a lot more like senior people who, who have more experience replacing the uh, existing people but um, can they actually execute is the question mark also. That's good to know. Um, let's let's see how this goes, right? So definitely a cause for concern. I think changing mm. too many people at one time, it's like you know, it's like you change a a cap. <laughs> it's like you're doing a, you're doing an experiment. You change one thing, yeah. right? And then you be like, hmm, what's gonna happen? But you change five things, yeah. right? It's like it's not like hmm, what's gonna happen? It's poppy. Something's gonna happen. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's a it's a very different discussion. So um, let's see let's see how how this goes along for them. Uh, overall, mm. I think product is still good. Management, 
Um, CEO definitely is a guy. Um, I mean, he started from nothing to get to where he is. Um, but yeah, some of these guys are leaving and changing hands. So let's see how that goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so all, all in all, I think with management, changes, financials and all, um, I think those are, those are all like pretty cool, cool and stuff. Uh, but what about the, the modes of the company, right? I think from mm. the mode standpoint, previously we did say that, hey, actually a lot of these software companies, right, they don't really have a mode, you know, until they get really, really big. So what, what is your take on, on Zendesk at this moment in time? I think they have certain level of mind share, at least, right? When people think of customers to solve, like, oh, Zendesk, right? And the next one, we say like Freshdesk or Odesk or any other desk, right? <laughs> but uh, at the level of, of quality, right? And, and comprehensive package that is offered by the different competitors, right? It's still Zendesk, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they have a little bit of brand power there. Um, they have some, I, w- I would say like goodwill, uh, but it's more like, um, you know when you use them, right? It's reliable software. It doesn't, mm. it doesn't like um, um, crap on you halfway or something like that. Mm. Yeah. So that, that's one uh, as compared to other software companies which we have talked before. Another angle is also because they focus on the software first, right? And then the APIs. Now the software companies that are, you see like the new ones say like PagerDuty, right? It's API first and then the UI. How sticky is it? It's a very big question mark because everyone else is also starting out with APIs first. So it's a volume game. It's a volume game and it's very, very competitive. As compared to say Zendesk, right, it's easier to fend off because you have that uh, UI angle already, which you can go to. And then the ancillary services which you provide is through the APIs. Um, it's more resilient that way yeah, as compared to the reverse. So the order in how the growth is actually done uh, matters. Uh, ultimately, you'll see through the execution of the new team. But uh, I do see that as a kind of a mode um, because they have a comprehensive product already built up as compared to the competition, which is a little bit uh, scattered here and there. The next closest competitor would be Salesforce and uh, like the Odesk and Freshdesk. But uh, the scale, the comprehensiveness, um, Zendesk still leads. Okay, that being said, right, um, it's not the strongest mode as compared to other business models, right? But it's a mode nevertheless if you're comp- comparing uh, in the software space. Uh, yeah. Another thing we can look at is, uh, other than branding, right, is that even in this fragmented market, let's say in the customer support space, there's 130 plus over competitors in say like the software space for sales, right? Anything that there's 58 different players, right? Slightly less because it's more tuned to sales. But Zendesk is still able to extract the highest value clients. Yeah, or mm-hmm. one of the highest value clients. Um, who's up there along with them is Salesforce, HubSpot and Zendesk, right? But Salesforce, they focus on the vertical of primarily CRMs. HubSpot primarily for marketing and then Zendesk is for the customer support. So these are very three different functions uh, of a business, right? One is to do with the sales, another one is to do the marketing, another one is the customer support. But at the end of the day, they will try to, to eat each other's market. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they, are all, they are all trying to eat each other. So HubSpot is trying to like, you know, do a little bit of more sales, do a little bit of customer support. Everyone else yeah. is doing a little bit of all that, right? Which begs the question of a lot of times when these kind of uh, software companies, when they expand or when they pivot to grow a different vertical, are they really doubling down on that? Are they like putting a lot of resources to create the next big product? Or is it just like a side product to service their core customers? Right? I think this mm. will really um, drive the way the company look at it, the way they allocate resources and the way the products turn out. Right, um, yep. it's, it's, like, it's like how we talk about Cloudflare the other time um, they're doing the whole security thing but the security thing is not really growing as much um, 
it looks like the security aspect is really an upsell to their core clients and not so much a new vertical that they're trying to double down with. Um, like Adobe, they're so big on Photoshop and Premiere Pro and all the Creative Cloud stuff, right? Uh, which is amazing and great. They've been growing amazingly. But they are recently trying to milk the PDF ecosystem. Like with PDF scan, PDF sign, but their growth rate is so much slower than HelloSign, DocuSign and all the other sign companies. So mm. is this like a side hustle that Adobe is doing or is it a main thing that they're really allocating resources and all? So I think you can always see signs of these things. It's, it's very hard to tell because the company will never come out and tell you that, hey, this is a side hustle. No, you know, they will tell you that this is a growth opportunity, blah, 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 whatever shit. Lah. Mm. You know, they always market to you. But uh, I think there are clear signs whether or not the founder comes out during um, discussions and talk about them as the priority, as, uh, as a top few things that they talk about. And uh, on their FS is always is, is put up in the early early part of the annual report you know it's not like at the end one of the products at the end so you want to kind of see yep. them actively talk about it at the top at the front to know that hey they're actually dedicated and uh, best is they can start to hire um, at least meet to senior management kind of people with like VP or SVP to focus on a particular vertical then you know that they're really taking this seriously and not like mm. a part of the repertoire because it's just so easy to create a side gig la, to service your current customers. So, mm. so all that jazz, yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, for this side gig uh, kind of analogy, you also have a limited amount of resources. Uh. It cannot be just a side gig and then you spend that amount of uh, investment right into that side gig, but it's not actually giving mm. you returns. Um, yes. Depends on, again, the strategy of the company. If they see that, oh, you do, I do. Everything that a competitor does, I also must do. Right, that kind of angle, mm-hmm. right? Then it's just burning cash, right? It might not exactly yes. be uh, where they're focusing on, which is their niche. Right, the niche yes. is still important, right? No matter what uh, stage you are inside the company, if you lose sight of that niche already, right? Where basically your your main selling point isn't as strong anymore. It's it's still diluted. So that's the risk that uh, Salesforce could actually come into, right? Um, the feedback by the users is that uh, UI basically didn't update for the longest time, la. It looks exactly <laughs> the same, la, right? It's not very helpful, also, right? But Zendesk has always continuously improved this, right? even though mm. it, may, it may seem like it's something small. Yeah. At the end of the day, so most software companies, right, it's the product, live and die by product one. Yeah. Mm. If the mm. product is just uh, being abandoned by, by users and all that, then there goes your entire business already. So as yes. much as possible, the software tries to go beyond that by building some kind of ecosystem or plugging themselves into an ecosystem. But if yes. they are just focused on that one product, say like Spotify, right, it's at risk because any other co- bigger company can just offer that as a product as well. It does not have to make money, right? But mm-hmm. it's really competing with you based off the space, based off the price, based off everything else. Which is why <laughs> the, the hated Amazon, right? Every time pe- people celebrate yeah. when Amazon leaves the business. Amazon leave e-commerce, Shopify price, shoo! Amazon yeah. <laughs> leaves something, the price will just fly, right? So yeah. um, exactly, exactly this idea. And, and it's definitely good to know. Um, I think why we're spending some time to talk about this because... To me, I think a lot of people, when you invest in a software company, you always want to think like, oh, it's going to keep growing, keep growing. It's also exciting. They always tell you the addressable market is so big, blah, 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 blah. But it tends to be that in the software space, there's no dominant player. There's no one guy that dominates the whole space. Everybody takes you know, a portion of their market, whether is it um, at a certain cohort, a certain focus, or a certain vertical. You know, um, There's always a certain, there, are, there will always be multiple providers in a particular software. You rarely see one person dominating the whole thing. Even if they so-called dominate, right, it's, it's not like, it's not like 80, 90%, not like other businesses, you know, it's maybe like 40, 30, 
you know, 50%. Considered very dominant already. Even AWS is only 50%, right? So I think this is extremely important when understanding software companies is that you need to know that their growth at 20, 30, 40% will taper off. It will definitely taper off eventually. And when you're investing in software companies for growth, right, you must see that they're creating new products or you must see that they're creating, uh, they're going to new verticals. And both must be able to give you that kind of early pickup rate, you know, like that 80%, 90%, 100% growth to, to see that, oh, okay, this new vertical is taking a life of its own. It's growing, mm. right? And it can continue to sustain the growth story of this company if you're buying it for a growth story, which is why a lot of value investors will be very against it lah, because, you know, it's, it's a hit and miss, right? It's a little bit like investing in a pharma company. You don't know whether they can create the next product. Lah. They really have one big product. Yes, they're doing very well, but you don't know whether or not they can continue to keep growing. Right, so um, it's just something to note when you're looking at softwares. Um, there is a tapering off, and once the growth starts to taper, the market tends to penalize it pretty badly. Um, mm. So you want to be able to see a lot of uh, continued growth, you know, in in the different verticals or different features that they keep providing. So yes, it's mm-hmm. good to know. Yeah, so um, I think I think we've come to you know, discuss the, the the company as a whole from the modes, financials, management and all that stuff. And we also took the chance to talk about non-GAV and all, which is good, right? Because I think we've been talking a lot about software companies and non-GAV is definitely something that, you know, it's it needs to be talked about, especially when we go into a lot of these digital businesses. Uh, beyond just mm. software, gaming also has a lot of non-GAV issues. Uh, it's just how you account for your growth, right? It's a big question mark. But all that being yeah. said, right, I think uh, to some of this company, uh, can you actually walk us through like what is their like headwinds, tailwinds and you know what are some competitors um, just some last words for, for this company for us to be aware of when we are studying it I think the big ones would be Salesforce and then there's HubSpot and then there's also ServiceNow we didn't talk much about ServiceNow but uh, they attack a different kind of vertical but at the end of the day still all software companies they're focused on specific uh, kind of operations which uh, they want their customers to outsource to them through their software Right? So it's all software as a service. They're all paid from some kind of licensing fee per model. Almost the same business model. Lah. Okay? And then there's the non-listed companies which you don't actually see. But maybe here and there, you kind you of like use the product before and all that. So there's like Odesk, Freshdesk, maybe Hootsuite. And you don't actually have the correct numbers or the, the true numbers that represent the number of users or companies that's actually using them. Right? So that's a danger. So what is the true total addressable market right, for Zendesk? It's a question mark. Right, we only know. Oh, so yeah, enterprise customers. Uh, they if they are targeting the Fortune 500, there's basically 500 customers. Uh, right, uh, and then based off the dollar value. So that's 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 mm. pretty straightforward. But <coughs> what if idea. right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Continue. So 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 that's that that you 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 kind of know that. Uh, but for the other um areas, right, it is worth also exploring um how the other non-listed competitors are actually doing and what users are actually saying about the product. Because at the end of the day, right, it's still taking some kind of mind share. Right? They mm-hmm. can have similar kinds of features really that uh, perhaps Zendesk doesn't support. And they're actually attacking a niche. It's just that they don't want to go and list themselves because they are very comfortable staying private. So They have enough yeah. funding, they don't need to list and all, yes. Mm. Mm-hmm. And startups, basically, why do you want to attack the giant? Right? You go mm-hmm. after the niche which they are actually um, not covering. That's what most startups are doing and that's why you see like proliferation of SaaS-based startups. Like it's everywhere. Yeah, mm, There's a SaaS for everybody. Everything, everybody is taking a vertical. Very small, very niche yeah. kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Don't be surprised. Or if not even like a, a portion of the big company's uh, offerings. Like it's just one feature, right? They turn the feature into a product. 
say like yeah, the chatbot software. Mailchimp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mailchimp. Right. Yeah. The chatbot. Yes. WhatsApp. That the WhatsApp button. You know that you can click on the on your website mm. and then ta-da, it appears. Right. So yeah, I know some friends who are doing, are working in that space and it's like, huh? The whole company just one feature. So like, yeah, but we are doing well. Right, they, mm-hmm. they because they charge a fraction of the cost, you know, it just get factored into the company. A lot of companies are not ready to invest in full suite software stack. Yeah, um, they're very happy to just like pay eight dollars per user for that one chatbot. You know, <laughs> so so all 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 that stuff. Yes, it happens. Mm. So that is to do with like the longevity or the sustainability of that business model. Um, if Zendes doesn't innovate or they don't try to uh, provide the same kind of value to their customers, right? The customers will just switch or they might even build it internally if they can't wait. Yeah. So, okay, example, right? The closest one is for Salesforce. The benefits of having that kind of ecosystem, right? It's not just because uh, it's ready-made, right? Well, because is you have the data, right, for your customers. When you have more data that is going into, say, other workflow systems, your inventory, your accounting and finance, right? it gives a more holistic view of your organization rather than just from a sales angle, right? When you want to build things in custom, yes, you can optimize your processes and all that sort of stuff. But the decision factor to actually build on your own is not that straightforward also. They want to compute the cost, right? If you build your own versus buy. If you build your own, you can customize it in your own way and all that. But what if it doesn't work? There's always that risk, Mm. right? Do you have the capability to go and support and maintain your own software or not? Uh, Right? And uh, where do you actually store this kind of data? Then you have to start thinking about, okay, there's additional costs. We need to store it in some compute cluster. We need to uh, store it in the cloud. Then we need to access it. We need to analyze it. Yeah, do we have data analysts or not? Or can we, do we have to buy another software to go and do it, right? Mm-hmm. So all sorts of decisions, it's, it's too many dimensions to go and think already. And not all mm-hmm. companies are equipped with that capability to, to, to really think it through. La. So myself, ah, just outsource this. La. Just do everything on Salesforce, right? Mm-hmm. And then the part mm-hmm. about the integrations. Zendesk, yes, it opens up in the APIs and all that kind of stuff, but it takes certain uh, capabilities of their customers to integrate the APIs. It basically means you need to work with developers, right? Maybe not like hardcore software engineers from, from Google and Facebook. You don't have to have that level of talent, uh, but you still need to look up for engineers who knows how to integrate APIs and build these systems for you, which means, mm. again, costs, right? So there's always trade-offs, uh, and... Um, whether this decision makes sense to the companies, right, ultimately depends on the maturity of the customers also, right? Yes. If you have two traditional of companies, no nuts about software one, but just want to build custom software, then uh, look out lah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah. I think overall, when people use the word tech, tech companies, right, they use it too loosely. Okay, everything mm. is tech. You know, or some, I mean, there are some articles even talking about the end of tech because everything is tech enabled. You cannot look at a company as a tech. You must look at it from a, like Netflix is an entertainment company, like Facebook is a social media communication company and all that, right? So I think um, that's definitely something that I subscribe to. I think that's the future. So for a lot of people, um, since we're talking so much about tech, you know, today, um, whether or not you're looking at Zendesk or any other company, I think you need to recognize that it's very different. Not everything is the same. For a company that is really doing a software, you know, that is part of a company, that means they are doing B2B software, no real customer front-facing kind of engagement. It's just business-to-business processes. Then I think your reference point for how big this company can get will really be comparing to companies like Oracle, companies like Adobe, companies like, like Autodesk, that they have gotten very, very niche and do very, very well in 
a particular software stack that everybody is still using them because that is that's how big you know that's how solid they are as a software stack and then uh, over time all the competitors give up they all get priced out of the system right so mm. so then you know that is probably your best case scenario when looking at a company like that you cannot compare it with payments you cannot compare it with like so like uh, socials you know it's 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 totally not the same so when you look at software companies who are the giants and uh, really got to focus like what is the reference point that you think the company can get into right because that would then really factor into your assumptions factor into how you envision a company uh, so mm. that's something I think I think people need to recognize Mm-mm-mm. just one more point I think uh, other than the competitors right it could be anyone uh, say like Google or Microsoft right or say Salesforce which decides to offer the same exact product just out of spite or something la, and offer it for free that mm. is a very, very compelling offer, right? Um, they can just spend all that R&D. Ah, we got spare cash, just R&D for the next two or three years is okay. And then finally, boom, they, they just release the news that uh, we're going to offer the same thing that Zendent has for free. That mm. could always happen, mm. seriously, yeah. Um, yes, yes. But Zendent could it, also it just, take the other way around, right? Saying we're going to offer yeah. our sales softwares for free. <laughs> yes, yes. And then everybody die together. <laughs> So it becomes a price war. It becomes yes, intense yes. competition, really. Yeah, and mm. in software, it's very, very difficult to reach some kind of like monopoly or, or oligopoly, lah. So, mm. um, say like take for e-commerce, right? You got just too many players, really, right? You don't have actually dominating players, but you just have players that have just ones with very, very fat margins. Example, Amazon, right? Mm. And then there's the rest. Yeah. Mm. So, that's crazy, lah. Yeah. And if that kind of player with who's already profitable who already has uh, very, very uh, efficient operations, right? they just decide to do this to go and kill off the competition, right? That's it. Yeah. Mm. So so uh, I'm thinking like Microsoft or Google, yeah, yes. they can just do this on the side. Internally, they have some R&D team that, that's, that's just working on this slowly, right? When mm. Then when the time mm. is right, just whack. Yeah. Yes, yeah, just one of the feature, you know, and we hire a bunch of people, let's just play around with this feature and I put 20 million to mm. play around and see if it works. Mm. And to really, to a lot of these guys, right, it's nothing, right? Yeah. So, so it is, uh, it's definitely something to be very aware about um, when it comes to investing in software companies, especially the ones that are small and just doing a relatively niche part of the whole software suite. Right, they will they will face all these challenges. Like it's not unique to Zendesk. It's 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 just like every other software company that is doing something like that and going for such a market. I think that's something that everybody should know. Okay, so with that, I think we've come to the end for today. A lot of good stuff. I hope you guys learn some good juices and uh, keep letting us know what other new companies you want to talk about, and we'll keep recording more reviews for you. Take care, guys. Thank Thomas. Woo. Bye. Hey Coconut, so I hope you learned something useful today and definitely recognize that investing is a personal decision. We're not giving you any recommendations here, but I'm always happy to geek out with you about different interesting companies and trends for the future. This series has a lot more depth and terms, so if you have any questions for us, do join our community telegram group or DM us on our socials. Link is in the description. If you love us and want to help us grow, definitely share the podcast with your friends and on your socials. And to stay tuned with what is happening in the markets and in the TFC network, do sign up for our weekly newsletter at thefinancialcoconut.com. With that, I hope you have a great day ahead and may you improve to become a confident, insightful and disciplined investor, ultimately creating the life you love while managing your finances well. See ya next week.